Welcome to the Malt Whiskey Trail podcast. This podcast is best enjoyed responsibly, of course, with the dram, the traditional measure of scotch. Our shows can be found at www.maltwhiskeytrail.com, where you can also plan your trip to the world's first malt whiskey trail. Now, let's get into the show. Slanjavar! This week we're at Glenlivet, one of the best-selling Scotch malt whiskies in the world. Glenlivet Distillery is hidden in a valley which, even by Speyside standards, is remote. Joining me to explain why is Katie Still, who works at the distillery and regularly takes visitors on tours. Right now we're in what we call the library, which is a room which we reserve for special tastings and the guardians, that we have the Glenlivet guardians that come up here to have a special dram. It's a lovely room which is, um, it's, it's kind of, a slightly dark but not in a you know lovely old-fashioned kind of furniture if you can hear the creaking it's the leather sofa and all and a lot of our sort of unusual collection of whiskies and some whiskey books it's got a nice atmosphere of of oh yeah we're in somewhere that you could be drinking whiskey beside the fire the story of Glenlivet is um, is an interesting one isn't it do you want to just uh, tell me a little bit about how this distillery came to be here it's yeah the history around Glenlivet I think is one of the most fascinating parts of it and as you traveled here I imagine you know you're you're coming into the Glen and you are coming into what would have been an even more remote part of the country in the in the Cairngorms National Park as it is now um and yeah because the, the whiskey industry kind of in this area was born out of farming and just your your ordinary little crofter trying to make ends meet if you could imagine, this this glen is in about a 12-mile radius, and I believe that a few hundred years ago, there would have been about 200 illicit stills in operation in this glen alone. So small space, but plenty of that going on and the smuggling of that whiskey because nobody was paying their taxes and nobody had a licence. But that's because the scale of um, of production was so small. It was over the domestic hearth and, it you know, with a porridge pot and so on. So it was very simple, but it was a way of making ends meet. It was a way of actually surviving and leftover barley, plenty of water. The landowners were happy because they got uh, their, their rent paid. It meant you could feed your family. And George Smith, the founder of Glenlivet, was no different. His father, his grandfather, you know, it was part of what you did here. And it, it was a way of survival in more than one way, I suppose. And then smuggling that spirit out uh, of the Glen, which was the dangerous part. Um, but it was kind of considered to be it certainly wasn't um, a shame. There was no shame attached to the smuggling because everybody was involved. I mean, this area as well is is quite well known for... It was a Catholic kind of stronghold and a place where um, a lot of Catholicism was still practised, even though it was banned. And priests would be hiding barrels or, you know, stills in their pulpits and things. So it wasn't, it wasn't something that was shameful. It was a very well-organised black market, really. So we've just come up the stairs in uh, the brand home and we're walking into what was a part of the old malt malting loft. So how did um, Glenlivet then from being a whiskey that George was um, distilling in his kitchen become 
a whisky that had um, a reputation that people wanted to buy. The reputation of all whisky that was coming out of Glenlivet was fantastic. So much so that that reputation had reached, that good reputation had reached the King, King George IV, down in London. He had an historic visit up to Edinburgh in 1822, at which point we were led to believe that he actually asked for a bottle of Glenlivet and he was given it. He tasted it and declared it to be one of the best things he'd ever tasted. Now, you think, OK, great, that's, that's really good for, for, for Glenlivet whisky. But at the same time, it was embarrassing for the government because he had, to, they, they had, he had to be told, the king had to be told, that this was an illegal substance, really, because nobody was paying taxes or had a licence to actually distill up here. So um, what happened next then? There was a real, I suppose, motivation to make it legal so that the king could enjoy some Glenlivet whisky. So what happened was the Excise Act was born in 1823, so there was pressure put on in different circles to actually reduce the cost, the cost of the licence, lower taxation, so that it was feasible for producers, illegal producers up in this Glen, to actually start paying taxes and make it legal. So at that point, the year later, so this was 1822, the king had visited, that changed, 1823, George Smith, our founder, bought his licence in 1824, and that's when the Glenlivet was founded. That wasn't all a bed of roses for him, because in actual fact what happened was then his life was under threat. So you'd think, as if life wasn't dangerous enough, smuggling your whisky out of the Glen and all the risks that that held, actually, after that, everybody around him were pretty annoyed at the fact that he had changed the landscape because now the excise men would come up, check on his product, and that meant everyone else in the Glen were having to hide theirs much more or got caught and thrown in jail and so on. But thankfully for everybody that enjoys the Glenlivet, he didn't get killed and he went on to live till he was 79, which was quite incredible back then. So that's where, yes, so that's where he was then able to expand and grow. And actually where you're sitting right now is the, the old uh, malt loft where the, the, the malt used to be, um, the, the barley used to be malted. And he moved his site from just up the hill there down here in 1859, where he could really grow and expand the product. And there is special significance, isn't there, to the word the Glenlivet. All whisky from this Glen was just Glenlivet whisky, and that's what the king would have tasted. We don't know which one. So the reputation was so good that it was important to harness that reputation, and actually it was George Smith's son who, uh, I guess he went and studied, and he understood the importance of that more, and went to court to try and basically make the name exclusive and it was a huge battle it was late 1800s he went to court spent what would have been the equivalent of millions of pounds nowadays to secure the name and that's where the Glenlivet came from so it meant he then secured exclusive rights to be the only whiskey from this Glen to be able to call itself the Glenlivet or Glenlivet whiskey Um, but for a long time a lot of distilleries in and around the area tried to keep um, the name somewhere on the label I think it's gradually gone now, but that's how it occurred. But it was, it's, and we have an indenture down in our exhibition that shows how that came about. So we've just popped down into the exhibition, which is, is brilliant because in this little cabinet here, you can actually see the two pistols that George was given to defend himself after he went legal. And they were given to him by, by the Laird of Aberlour to protect himself and distilleries. So, yeah, uh, they're lovely, great pistols. And I believe they have been used. There's evidence to say that they've, that, that they've actually been fired. So there's great stories all around George and how he did different things to protect himself. So he was certainly a bold man. And when 
when you look around here, there's images of um, the lifting of prohibition in America, which is directly related to the Glenlivet. Now, it is actually one of the probably biggest markets for the Glenlivet nowadays, and it all started back in 1933, thanks to the last family owner of the Glenlivet, Captain Bill Smith Grant. So he was the great-grandson of George Smith, and he travelled to America just after the lifting of, pro of prohibition in America, and... Um, he got the miniature 12, so the Glenlivet 12, the, so probably the most iconic of the Glenlivet range, onto um, the railway lines. He did a deal with Pullman coaches, and we got a great old image of uh, the, the, back in the 1950s. And really, the love affair started for the Glenlivet then. So every time somebody on the train and they had a Glenlivet miniature, so that really kind of the Glenlivet we know today is really thanks to this sort of part of its history. We've come out into the production area now, so we're about to head into, into the distillery and um, you're about to um, be introduced to a very big mash tun. So, so here we are, um, a great big mash tun responsible for a, a lot of spirit that we're producing here. And as you walk round the side, it's all very silver. It's really beautiful, I think. Um, and as you come round, it's a lovely bright day, so um, you can see the massive windows at the far end. Walking, if we're going to walk down through the still house, and in 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 the distance, you can see Ben Rennes through the big windows, um, which, of course, uh, being a this part was built in 2010, so actually those windows pop out to make it easier to replace these copper stills rather than having to take the roof off. So, um, so the view is beautiful and the great big copper stills. So maybe we could walk down um, closer to them. Every distillery has their own shape and style of copper still and what makes the Glenlivet ones distinct is really actually harking back to George Smith's time and what made his spirit unique from this Glen was the, 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 was the height of his copper still. Or, so we are really trying to continue that and that is the essence of what the Glenlivet makes here. These stills are big. I mean, we're standing here, they tower up very tall, so that's what's distinctive, but also the narrowness of the top of these copper stills. They're very narrow, so the copper is purifying, so the vapours really are, they have to, they're going to become very delicate, lovely complex, fruity and floral, because of this, the, the tallness, the height of these stills compared to some of the others in the area, and that's what really distinguishes the character of the Glenlivet spirit. taking you down now to warehouse number three, a duty-free warehouse that's under lock and key. Um, no tax has been paid just yet, but yes, we'll go in. You can already smell that, can't you? Immediately, this is quite a big warehouse. We have a lot of barrels um, actually maturing on site as well as all over Scotland. But in here, as you can see, as we go in, it is a lovely big warehouse, nice and cool on a day like this when it's so warm outside and you can see that the, the stone walls, there's no temperature control, nothing is controlled in here. Um, a lovely ambient cool temperature and the barrels are all just sleeping in there on their side and they're all above earth. There's, the cement does not go underneath so that the air continues to travel around. And, um, and that lovely angel's share that you can smell, that mixture of the wood and uh, the whiskey just escaping. It's lovely. I love the atmosphere in a warehouse. It's quite overpowering almost, isn't it? Uh -huh. It's really strong. 
It hits yeah. you, yeah. And it's, I always say when I'm doing a tour here that this is, there's various smells that you get going around the distillery between, you know, the fermentation and the mashing and so on. But when you come in here, there's that, that sort of, okay, now uh, it's whiskey. Uh-huh, undeniably. We've stepped outside the warehouse here at the Glenlivet and the views everywhere you turn, looking out towards Ben Rennes, across the Glen, and, you know, I, I actually love to sometimes just come here and imagine what it would have been like. Obviously, the, the roads would be a lot smaller, a little bit less accessible. But thinking back to that time hundreds of years ago where it all began with George Smith way back in the 1700s and before and um, where it's now come, you know, where we, where we are now and the, the, the sort of scale of production that is happening all from those little meagre beginnings over the domestic hearth as so many did. It's a huge success story, absolutely. And if he's anywhere, I think, well, actually his, his family grave is just not too far from here. If, he was, if he's kind of looking down, I think he'd be pretty happy. Now we've got millions of barrels resting in these warehouses dotted around Scotland. So it is incredible to think that starting point to where we are now. We've come into the, the visitor centre. Um, when I came in today, I, I saw you know, people having to, to wait to get on a tour. It's really popular today. How many visitors do you um, welcome here every year? Well, of course, yeah, that, it varies from year to year, I imagine. But I think you know, that, that it's certainly up to about 40,000 over the season. Um, that's what we've, we've found so really popular. And yes, you're coming here and there's, you know, we offer tours very regularly. And the, the, each, as, you, as you witnessed today, there's about 16 maximum on each one and out we go. So for people coming here to, to visit Glenlivet and to visit Speyside and the Malt Whiskey Trail, yeah. where would you recommend that they go and what would you recommend that they see to make the most of their time in Speyside? Anywhere that takes you walking around about the River Spey and things that are related to the whisky industry, including the Cooperage just behind Dufton. And also, I would say, you know, you have Tom and Towel, one of the highest villages or the highest village in Scotland up there through the Glen. I think just the landscapes are so beautiful and stopping off in Aberlour, where you can get some food and drink and, and, and Ballandala Castle, all around these areas, I think you can't, really, you, you can't really go wrong with it. And through the snow roads, it's beautiful. Come back often. You can find our podcasts on Spotify and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook for the latest news, offers and exciting promotions. Mm-hmm.